You've found the Everything Apostolic Podcast. Delight your soul, feed your spirit, and sharpen your mind with anointed teaching and discussion on subjects such as faith healing, miracles, end-time prophecy, holiness, and everything that apostolics love. And now here's your host, pastor, author, blogger, and teacher, Charles Rodas. Welcome to Everything Apostolic. No one is perfect. Hey, this is Charles Rodas, your host. So glad you've joined with me today on this podcast. Yeah, no one is perfect. That's the common saying. I've said it. You've said it. I know I'm not perfect. Are you? I don't claim to be perfect in any way at all. I feel very far from that. But I've got some news for you today. You might find this extremely interesting. I'm going to debunk that statement. Man, I hear, I've heard it from pulpits. I've heard it, people post it on social media. I've heard it all my life. No one is perfect. What in the world does that mean? Well, let me tell you something. There's different definitions of perfection. Yeah, there are. There are different definitions of perfection. And I'm going to show you what the Bible says about perfection. But then we also have the definition that the world gives about this word perfection. What is perfection to the world? Well, I'm going to give you my thoughts on that, okay? I, I think when the world says no one is perfect, I think they mean could be several things. One of one of those definitions could say, well, uh, no one's ever done, no one's ever been without sin, no one's ever been without doing wrong, and no one's perfect, no one's going to live without doing wrong, uh, just everybody makes mistakes, everybody sins, everyone sins every day, uh, boy, and everything in between. We've heard all of that. No one is perfect. Well, I want to ask you a question. I don't know if you know the answer to this not. I'm probably going to catch you off off guard here, so I doubt if you would know unless you've already reading into what I'm talking about. But uh, there's three men in the Bible. And one by the name of Job, the other Noah, and another man not mentioned too much in the Bible. His name was Asa. <laughs> three letters, A-S-A. Asa, Job, and Noah. What did they have in common? Now hang with me here. I'm going to blow your mind on this theory no one is perfect because God's definition, the Bible definition, is different than the world's. That perfection, that perfection we talk about, being perfect in God's word is different than what the world says. It's what I've always said. It's what you've always said. And I've got a lot of scripture here. So put your seatbelt on. All right. Put your crash helmet on. All right, put your driving gloves on because I, uh, I'm going to take us somewhere here today and uh, you're going to like the word of the Lord. I'm not going to give you my opinion here, but the word does not disagree with itself. The word does not contradict itself. So question for you, is God unfair? So let's talk about these three men just for a minute. Genesis 6 and 9. So I'm going to mention Noah, 
Okay, Genesis 6, 9, you can look it up. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. Noah was what? A really good man? Noah, Noah was just, you know, live for God? No, Noah was perfect. God said it. God said it. So it tells me God's definition of perfect must not be my definition of perfection. I would assume that Noah had made a mistake at some point in his life. I would guess that Noah had sinned at some point in his life. I would say that Noah probably had flaws that his wife may not have necessarily liked. His kids may have got, you know, uh, you know, little ticked at dad sometimes, his boys and his daughter-in-laws. But it says here that Noah was a perfect man. All right, what about, let's go. Uh, let's just read a scripture about Asa, Second, Chron uh, Second Chronicles 15, 17. But the high places were not taken away out of Israel. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was perfect all his days. The heart of Asa was perfect all his days. Wow. Okay. Well, he says his heart was perfect. Okay. We just leave that there. If that's that's an arguing point for you, that's fine. Uh, is his heart separate from, from the person? Can, if a person is out doing evil, does that mean his heart is still, can his heart still be perfect? If a, if a person tells lies, if a person, you know, causes division amongst people, uh, if, a, if a person is a troublemaker, if a person is just sinning every day, could his heart be perfect? I I I don't think so. That would be my opinion. I would say that his heart is not perfect. Now, we use the scripture, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. What are we going to say about that? But I think that when God judges a person, now you won't find anybody in the Bible, no one, that claimed to be perfect. <laughs> I said on the outset, I'm not perfect. I know I'm not. But you know what? You, as the listener, I don't know. You could be more perfect than you realize. I don't know how God is judging you, okay? I don't know. God judged Noah as a perfect man. It said that Asa's heart was perfect. Or what about Job 1 and 8? Look at 1 and 8 of Job. And the Lord said unto Satan, who was God talking to? <laughs> that old devil that we hate. Hast thou considered my servant Job that there is none like him in the earth? A perfect and an upright man, one that fears God and eschews evil. Isn't it something all three of these men were, let's just use these two, Job and Abraham, or Noah rather. Noah and Job were perfect by the mouth of the Lord, and they were perfect without the Holy Ghost. There was no Holy Ghost outpour experience like we have today in, the, in those days in the Bible, in the Old Testament. No, no, no. But you know what? Not only does Job 1 and 8 say that Job was a perfect man, but the devil came back to God later and wanted to touch Job's body after all that he had already done to him. And his children died and he lost his finances. He lost his businesses. All this was happening. And then back in Job chapter 2, verse 3, God repeats himself and said, Hast thou considered my servant Job? He is a perfect man. He is a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. 
I would have to say that God's definition of perfection must be connected to being upright, one that fears God, and definitely one that eschews evil. If you're chasing evil and you enjoy evil and you enjoy others committing sin and you like uh, even on your your media, your television, your videos, and you enjoy others watching sin, well, you're not eschewing evil, but Job eschewed evil. He got away from it. He stayed away from it. He walked around it. He walked a a different way. He didn't want to see how close he could get and not do it. No, he feared God. He shoot evil, and God proclaimed him as a perfect man. I asked you a little bit ago, is God unfair? Well, is he? You answer, yes or no, is God unfair? I don't think he's unfair. I don't think God is unfair at all. I don't think he's that kind of a God. I almost said that kind of a person. <laughs> but God is not that kind of a God. No, he's not. He's not unfair. Genesis 17 and 1. Look what he said. And when Abraham was 90 years old and nine, so he was 99, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. Walk before me and what? Be thou perfect. God told Abraham to be perfect. Now, you just agreed with me that God is not unfair. Don't take it back now. (laughs) Listen, my friend, don't take it back now. You said that God wasn't unfair. Oh, so now you're agreeing with me. God's definition of perfection must be different than your previous definition of perfection or and it's different than what the world says is perfect oh sure you're going to hear it probably in the next week or two somebody will say it somewhere no one's perfect well job was perfect all right noah was perfect and god said to abraham walk before me and be perfect is god going to tell abraham to do something he can't do is God so unfair to put such uh, requirements upon this great man of the day to tell him to do something? He God never told anybody to do anything that they could not do. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. Now, I can't tell you that I understand God's perfection 100%. I don't. And I said on the outside again. I'm not perfect. I don't consider myself perfect, but I've got the world's definition so stuck in my head too, just like you do. But I've known for many years and I've studied this out and that's why I'm giving it to you. And, oh, I didn't just dig this up. I I, I had a pastor many years ago that taught this. I, wow. You know, he's not even going as deep as what I am in this. But you know what? I believed it and I looked at it and I said, wow, that's, that's different. That's, uh, I want to believe the word. All right. So, What about today? You said that God is not unfair. God won't put something on you more than you could bear. God's not going to ask you to do something that you can't do. Well, what about, mm, let's go to Matthew 5, 48. Mm, Be therefore perfect. Well, oh, hold on. Let's back up. Who's talking? Who's talking? Do you have your Bible? Red letter edition. Matthew 5, 48. Be ye therefore perfect. Oh, is that Jesus? Is he that unfair Savior? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven 
is perfect. Oh my goodness. Well, Brother Rodis, he expects us to, well, he's telling us to, but he knows we can't do it. He just, you know, he just, oh, so he wants us to live in this condemned state of guilt, always trying to arrive, but we can't get there, right? Always trying to arrive. Oh, we are. I am. I'm always, I, I find myself failing a lot. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? He doesn't want us to live in a state of guilt. There's something about walking before the Lord, as Job did, fearing God and eschewing evil. You know, I think one part of a perfect man or a woman is that when he makes a mistake, he doesn't hold on to it. He doesn't wait on it. He doesn't muse in it. He doesn't live in it. But right away, he recognizes his mistake and he repents immediately. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. Oh, I shouldn't have thought that. And then what do you do? God, forgive me for saying that. God, forgive me for doing that. What do you do? You repent and you don't live in the sin, okay, that you committed. I, I think that's part of it. I could be wrong, but you tell me, Jesus said, be ye therefore perfect. You can't tell me that he doesn't expect something out of us when we have two men plainly, plainly. The Bible says, God said these are perfect. Well, that must have meant something different, Brother Rodas. Mm -hmm, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. It must mean something different than what we've been saying all of our lives. No one is perfect. Yeah, I agree with them in the world because no one is perfect in that way. But if you are a blood-bought believer, if you are someone that has repented of your sins and you've been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and you've been filled with the Holy Ghost speaking with other tongues, let me tell you something. The blood of Jesus has applied to you and God made you perfect. Hallelujah. I said he made you perfect. That's right. You might have been perfect for a moment, for, uh, for an hour for a day, but then you went out and you did something wrong. Okay. Well, hey, then what do we do? We repent to get back to that perfect state. Oh, listen, the devil always throwing excuses and lies at us. He's always doing that, isn't he? I've got a whole lot more here. Oh, I've got a whole lot more. Let me let me take a quick break here. I want to I want to give you all this, but I've got a whole lot more. Hang on a minute. <laughs> If you haven't heard about my book on fasting, it is titled Fasting Secrets Revealed. This is Brother Rodas. Uh, here are a few of many exciting testimonies about my book. Uh, w. Garden says, I've read numerous books on fasting and this one is probably the best. Stephanie B. writes, excellent read and I've read a lot of books on fasting it was fresh content that really is inspiring fc warren writes the last six or seven months i've read probably eight or nine books on fasting this book is probably one of my favorites on the subject because i feel a spirit of faith and revelation at work in this book simple but powerful this book will ignite a fire in you for fasting and one more uh, by Vivian F. I purchased this book on fasting and it's the best book I've ever read on the subject. 
Now, Fasting Secrets Revealed was ranked number one in Amazon Bible Study. Fasting Secrets Revealed is was featured in IBC Perspectives magazine. And Fasting Secrets Revealed is one of the most mentioned books in Apostolic Review in 2020. Now, you can get Fasting Secrets Reveal, uh, Revealed on Amazon or my website. Save a little money on my website, which is www.charlesarotis.com. That's right. No one's perfect. Let's talk about it again. Luke 6 and 40. Luke 6 and 40. The disciple is not above his master. Jesus talking. But everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. What's my point here today? My point is God's definition of perfection is different than the worldly huh? The worldly definition. Now, you keep on saying no one is perfect. Yeah, I get it. I, I'll probably say it again. I haven't said it in a long time, but I might slip up and say it one of these days. No one's perfect. But you know what? I think about these two men that I started out with, Job and Noah. Hmm. God said they were perfect. And Jesus said here in Luke 640, but everyone that is, everyone that is not shall be, he's not talking about after the resurrection or, you know, after the rapture, he's not talking about that. No, everyone is present tense, but everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. Hmm. Doesn't sound like it's necessarily easy to attain, but I think by holy living and righteous living, God will be the judge. God will be the judge. I I would never, never in a million years, you would never in a million years call yourself perfect because you're like me. You don't feel perfect because we, I know me, you know you, but through holy living and the way God judges by his word and God sees you how through the, through the blood, through the blood of Jesus. 1 Kings 15 and 14, but the high places were not removed. Nevertheless, Asa's heart was perfect with the Lord all his days. I read that from 2 Chronicles 15, 17. There it is again. It's mentioned, must have been important. Mentioned a second time, second book of the Bible, 2 Kings 20 and 30. I beseech thee, O Lord, remember now, I have walked before thee, in truth and with a perfect heart and have done that which is good in thy sight and hezekiah wept sore there was a an announcement there was a prophetic word that came to say set your house in order for you shall die and not live and god came he turned his face to the wall and he prayed and he said this to the lord i have walked before thee in truth He said to God, and with a perfect heart, uh, and have done that which is good in thy sight. He was bold enough to say that he had a perfect heart. God didn't disagree with it, but you know what God did? God added 15 years to his life. Mm, He must have made a point to the Lord. Mm, Yeah, he's got a point there. He has really walked with me and walked in truth, and mm, he's had a righteous heart. He's had a perfect heart. Mm -hmm. Well... Hey, this is what the Bible says. I'm preaching from the word of the Lord. Oh, I posted something on 
Facebook the other day something about it. Boy, I was uh, <laughs> I was almost somewhat attacked even by some saying calling. I didn't refer to me at all. I was just making a point, but I was you know you know ugly things were being said. But eh, isn't that a shame that people even Christian people can be that way and turn what I said around? But hey, that's all right. That's why I'm on there. I'm on there to get attention. I like to get attention with the word of God. Not for me, but I want this word to get attention. I want to preach what thus saith the word of the Lord. Okay. So there we have it. Second Kings twenty three. Let's go to first Chronicles twelve thirty eight. All these men of war that could keep rank came with a perfect heart to Hebron to make David king over all Israel and all the rest also of Israel were of one heart to make David king. It's said that these men of war, these soldiers had a perfect heart. You know what the devil has done? You know what the devil has done? He has really, he has really tricked people. He has tricked many of God's people. He has tricked me. Okay. Well, Jesus said only the pure in heart shall see God, right? And, and we have this saying, you know, oh, we're sinners saved by grace. We're, I, I don't say that. I hope you don't say that. We're not sinners saved by grace. We were sinners saved by grace. That's right. We were sinners saved by grace, but he didn't save you to continue in your sin. He saved you from your sin. He didn't save you in your sin. That's right. He saved you from your sins. That's right. The scripture says in 1 John, he that sinneth is of the devil. In other words, he that continues in sin. You're going to sin once in a while. I'm going to sin once in a while. But to live in sin, well, I might have thought something. I might have did something and I didn't know what it was. Hmm, that's always a good comeback, isn't it? I might have done something and I didn't know I sinned. Really? That's a sin, huh? Oh, okay. Well, okay, I'm driving down the road one night and it's really dark down this road. And boom, I boom, boom, I hear this thud. I can't see anything. There's all because I had my headlights. I thought I saw something. I don't know what it was. Maybe I hit a raccoon. I found out the next day when the police were knocking on my door, hit somebody. I killed him. Oh, my goodness. Did I sin? I did, but I didn't. I didn't in the fact that I didn't do it on purpose. And that's the difference in, in sin and a mistake. That would be sincerely a mistake, a tragic mistake. But what have I done that on purpose? No, I would never do such a thing. And, and, and then, you know, hit and run. People do that. You've heard about it. But see, that's the point I'm making. When someone sins, it's something they did with purpose. It wasn't just a mistake. It wasn't an accident. It was a thoughtful, planned out, something they did. The old word, I don't know if it's a Hebrew word now. I haven't looked up in a long time. It might be an old English word or Hebrew word, whatever it is. For the word sin, it means to miss the mark. I believe it's a Hebrew word, if I'm not mistaken, to miss the mark. And it comes from when they would practice archery or when they would be in archery contests. And there would be this, you know, gentleman, a man with a bow and arrow. There would be uh, the uh, the target uh, and there would be a bullseye. And he would take a shot. His arrow would hit and he would miss the bullseye. And the word that they would use would be sinned. He would, he would make a uh, tally and he would say, he sinned. In other words, he missed the mark. 
You miss. You were aiming for something, and you missed it. Now, if you weren't aiming for something, okay, and something just happened, it was an accident, okay. That's not a sin, okay. You're not going to accidentally murder somebody. You might accidentally kill somebody. You're not going to accidentally uh, just go commit adultery with the opposite sex. You're not going to accidentally do that, are you? Okay, why? Because there's purpose, there's intent, there's thought involved, uh, premeditation involved with these things. So, yeah, that's the difference. That is the difference. Let's go to another scripture here. All right, so. Did we read First Chronicles 29 and 9? I believe we did, yeah, because they came with a perfect heart. All right, the people rejoice for that they offered willingly. No, we didn't, because with perfect heart they offered willingly to the Lord, and David the king also rejoiced with great joy. Now listen, let me ask you a question. Can a person's heart be perfect if he's sinning every day? Really, that, that kind of doesn't make sense. It's like an oxymoron, right? How can I say my heart is perfect with God, but I lie and I steal and I cuss and I do whatever, right? How could I say my heart is perfect? I would never say that anyway because I don't feel, okay? I don't feel that because, again, uh, I don't fully understand God's perfection. Maybe he doesn't want us to. I don't know. But I know it has something to do with this Bible study that I'm giving you today. Amen. It's about striving. It's about making that attempt to do what's right and living right, living holy, fearing God. It's chewing evil and making that pure decision to live right before the Lord. Well, you know, some people are just ignorant, right? But ignorance is not always going to be an excuse. It's not always going to be an excuse. It says in the book of Acts that God once winked at ignorance, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. In other words, he once winked at it. He once looked over it. In the Old Testament, there were times that he looked over people's ignorance. But he's not going to overlook it anymore. On the judgment day, the people that never had a Bible, the people that never heard the name Jesus, the people that rejected the Lord, the people just had one chance. They went to church one time in their life. People that never never went to church at all, but they lived right here, let's say, where there's churches on every street corner, apostolic churches everywhere, and they chose not to go. Well, they were ignorant. Yeah, but if ignorance is an excuse, let's just all throw away our Bibles now and be saved by ignorance. No, my friend, ignorance is not an, an excuse. God no longer winks or turns his head or closes his eyes to ignorance. I didn't look for the scripture, but you've probably heard it. If you're a Bible reader, you've read the scripture in the New Testament where the Bible says that we have a divine nature. Now, somebody says, well, you sin every day because of the old sinful nature. That was somebody's comment on my post the other day. Mm, that old sinful nature is supposed to be dead. Paul has commanded us to be dead to sin. Read Romans chapter 6. You've got to read it. You need to read that over and over and over. I've probably read that chapter maybe more than I've ever read any chapter in the Bible. I've read it a lot is my point. And you've got to read Romans 6 because he talks about being dead to sin. Now, I've always used this as an example when I've preached. Okay, let's just say a man has died and 
you're at his funeral and he wasn't saved. He wasn't living for God in any fashion, but let's just say he was a smoker. Let's just use that in, as an example. And uh, he smoked a pack of cigarettes every day. He just loved smoking, you know, two packs a day. He really was a smoker. I mean, Marlboro was his favorite brand and he would not go uh, an hour without smoking a cigarette. He almost always had a cigarette, but he died. Now we're at his funeral. He's not smoking. We can see, uh, at least uh, laying there in the casket, he's not smoking. All right. Uh, if you know what I mean. <laughs> uh, but you know what? Go ahead and put a pack of Marlboro. Just leave him on his, on his chest. You know, he's got his hands <clears throat> together there. They fixed him up, looking awesome there in the casket. Just buy a couple of packages of uh, you know, cartons of cigarette Marlboros. And just lay there and put some matches, a cigarette lighter. Do you think he's going to kind of like peek out of one eye? Do you think maybe at least a finger will kind of wiggle toward that cigarette? No, no, no. You know why? Because he's dead, physically dead to sin. He's physically dead to sin. You and I should be living dead to sin. Uh huh. We should be dead to sin. Whatever our old passions were, we've got to crucify that. We've got to bring that under subjection, don't we? We've got to die to sin. Dying to sin is not repentance. No, it's not. Dying to sin is saying no to sin. Dying to sin is not has nothing to do with repentance. No, it has something to do with saying, no, I'm not doing that. No, I'm not partaking in that. No, I'm not living that way anymore. Like the man in the casket. He was dead, literally dead, to his addiction. But many people today are very much alive to their sin. People that are in church many times are alive to their sin. But you've got to crucify yourself. You've got to die. Why? Because you have a divine nature and God expects you to live accordingly, according to that divine nature. Oh my, you've heard the scriptures here. You've heard the teaching here. Oh, Jesus said to be perfect. Did we not read that verse? Did we not read the verse where Jesus said, Matthew 5.40, be ye therefore perfect? You agree that God is not unfair. And, and, and we know that Jesus is not unfair. He never asked anybody to do something. Why? Because God's definition of perfection is different than yours has ever been. Mine ever has been. But it has something to do with the blood of Jesus. Praise God. Now, I don't believe what the worldly churches are doing today. They believe that you can just continually sin. Some of them do. I've heard it. And you could just continually sin and the blood just covers that sin. I've heard them say you don't have to repent. You don't have to repent because the blood automatically covers your sin. Yes, my brother. Yes, my sister. You do wrong. You need to repent. If you know you've done wrong, you need to repent. Okay. And then you need to die to that sin. Okay. You need to crucify that old carnal sinful nature because you have a new nature through the blood and through jesus christ oh thank god your past mistakes my past mistakes do not define me do not define you your past mistakes do not define who you are today no they don't no they don't so you say well i'm not perfect i've made so many mistakes sure you have God's not looking at those mistakes. God don't even see them. You bring God, I remember what I did 10 years ago. You've already repented a thousand times over. God don't remember what you're talking about. 
God don't see it because he's looking through the blood. So you're bringing up stuff from out from under the blood when you do that, that you should not be sure. He's not going to erase it from your memory. But because you sinned in your life, Abraham sinned in his life. Jesus never sinned in that sense of the world, in the worldly sense, uh, a definition of perfection. Yeah, Jesus accomplished that. Oh, he did. No, there was no sin at, uh, of any type ever in his life. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But right now, there may be somebody listening to this podcast that God might say, just like he did to the devil, I'll go consider my servant over here, my servant here, uh, and name your name. He might tell that devil, go consider, he's a perfect man, he walks upright, she's a perfect woman, and she walks upright. So the moment, the hour, the day that you're living in, God may ordain you as a perfect individual during that time. I, I would consider some of some of the things that Job said not to be so perfect. Okay, but when he was going through his trial, he had some very strong complaints. But the Bible said he never sinned or charged God foolishly with his mouth. Okay, so God was um, God was watching him, but God uh, in, twice told the devil, he's a perfect man. Well, my brother, my sister, thank you for listening today for Everything Apostolic. Stay tuned for an important message. Until the next podcast, God bless you in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Everything Apostolic Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and leave a rating and review for it as it provides tremendous feedback to this ministry. Don't forget, more resources are available at www.charlesarodis.com. There you will find Pastor Rodis's books and also the newsletter and a free gift when you subscribe to the newsletter. Until next time, be blessed in Jesus' name.